This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads at our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Good afternoon, everyone. As we can see from the screen with this title that we have here, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Wonderful words from the Lord Jesus Christ. And obviously our intention this afternoon is to explore these words a little bit and to see what they mean um, to us because obviously as words of the Lord Jesus Christ they are important but we can see straight away that they're intended as very comforting words to us to help us uh, understand what these words are and the message that we can find in them we're going to concentrate on these few verses at the end of Matthew and chapter 11 Um, the the reading that we had from us and and it's important of course that we establish the context of these words so you need to be a little bit patient with me because we will actually get to that phrase but you might have to wait till towards the end of the the talk to uh, see the conclusion of the matter as it were if you come back with me let's start by looking please at Matthew 11 and and come back to this verse 25 where we see there that at that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father. So here's the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's, he's offering a prayer to his heavenly Father. He says, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things. These things are the things concerning the kingdom of God. That gospel message that the Lord Jesus Christ was preaching to all those around about him. So uh, thou hast hid these things from the wise, or people that think they are wise in their own eyes, and hast revealed them unto babes. Not literal babes, of course, but people who didn't think that they were um, past it in terms of understanding these things. They They weren't full of pride. They were willing carefully to listen to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were babes in spiritual things that were willing to take, as the scriptural phrase has it, the milk of the word, so that they could learn about the things of God. So Jesus goes on to say in verse 26, Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in thy sight. In other words, this is the way that God works It's rather a surprise because some things that people understand from the Bible, many people that are well-educated and many people that are wise in the things of this world, they find it difficult to either understand or difficult to accept. But this is the way that God works. And Jesus acknowledges that fact here in verse 26. So when we come to verse 27, we read, All things are delivered unto me, says Jesus, of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father, save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Lord will reveal him. I'd like you to focus for a second, please, on this word reveal, because this is a very important scriptural principle What the Lord Jesus is telling us here is saying, if you want to know about the Heavenly Father, you need to come to me. You need to understand me and and the words that I am telling you about the kingdom of God and that gospel message. 
The, the idea behind this word reveal is to take the lid off something. You can't see what's inside a container uh, because I certainly don't have x-ray vision and I don't think many people do. So in order to see what's inside a container, you, you, you take the lid off, unless, it's, of course, it's transparent and you can see, but you'd normally take a lid off and you have a little look and you can see what's inside. And that's the meaning behind this word to reveal something. It means you're going to take the lid off and you're going to examine, you're going to have a good look at what is inside. And so that's what the Lord Jesus is saying. He says, if you want to understand these things, if you want to understand the Heavenly Father, the creator of the heavens and earth, then he says, you need to come to me. And he says, I will, as it were, take the lid off for you so that you can see these things and so that you can understand these things. And I, and I put it to you that that is the immediate context of what follows and the verses that we are going to consider this afternoon. It's all about Jesus revealing his father to his disciples and whoever would become his disciple. Let's see if this... I've got a couple of references here uh, because in our verse there, you see, in verse 27, um, he says he's going to reveal him. In the beginning of verse 28, immediately following this, uh, Jesus is going to reveal his father through his own words. He says, come unto me. Now, that's no coincidence, of course. It immediately follows on, doesn't it? Jesus, there is an invitation here from Jesus to say, come unto me. He says, this is how I'm going to take the lid off. This is how you're going to learn about the Father, by coming to me. The, these ideas are the same. So that's why we see in that reference that you can see on the screen there in Acts 4 and, and verse 12, that Jesus is the only one whereby we can come to understand the Heavenly Father. This is what the Scriptures teach us. There, there are no other people. There is no other Saviour. There is no other prophet. There is nobody amongst mankind, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, that can reveal the Heavenly Father to us. And so that's what the Scriptures tell us there, isn't it? And we've got a couple of other verses that have a similar message. They're, they are like equivalents of this, come to me. Here's another well-known one from John 14 and verse 16, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see? You have to come to Jesus. You have to acknowledge that he is, as he says, the way, the truth, and the life. So there's much more wrapped up in that phrase, come to me, than immediately meets the eye. Because in that saying, in that phrase, come unto me, uh, we, we have all these things to consider i am the way the truth and the life and so there's a, a very important message and it's only through the lord jesus christ that we we can do that and then another equivalent saying if you like or another way of expressing a similar idea is when jesus says i am the door well we know what doors are for if you want to go from one position into another room then you have to go through the door you open the door and, and you walk through the door so Jesus is saying I am that door you can't understand the father if you want to go from your present position of not knowing the gospel message to the position where you do know the gospel message 
and you want to believe it, then he says there's only one way to do that. You have to open this door, which is himself. I am the way, the truth, and life, and go through that door until you arrive at the other position where you have learnt about the Heavenly Father and you've learnt about the Lord Jesus Christ and, and that wonderful gospel message that we're given there. So that reading from verse 28, come unto me, that's that wonderful invitation Jesus says, all ye that labour and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. So they are, like I say, they're very comforting words, aren't they? But what do they mean? Do, Do you think that perhaps it means that tomorrow I don't have to go out to work? I don't think so. Does it mean that all of a sudden my everyday work is going to become nice and easy because Jesus says he's going to give me rest? I don't think so. We need to consider the the scriptural uses of these phrases, don't we? So um, it begs the question then, what does it mean if it doesn't mean that? Let's first of all recap on the present time our present dispensation we we need first of all to just make sure that we are clear that Jesus is not actually talking about giving us immediate and direct relief from our everyday work because that the scriptures teaches it's part of the course it's part of the the course the probationary walk that we have in this life now It's where we develop those godly characteristics that God wants us to do. So um, as as, as confirmation of that, we can turn to scriptures like we have there in, in Genesis 3 and verse 19, where it talks about the Garden of Eden and when Adam and Eve sinned and then God brought upon them the, the curse, part of that curse, it's not all of it there, part of that curse, he says to Adam and Eve, in, in the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread. In other words, it's going to be hard work. He says there's going to be thorns and thistles to deal with. The land needs cultivating. The plants need tending. There is work to be done. And, and, and by doing that work, this is how you are going to earn your bread, as it were. This is your, uh, your living. This is how you are going to survive. And that is an essential part. And, and there is no get out here. For those people who intend to become disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ... This is not immediately negated. This is not a get out. Everybody still has to do their work in order to earn their living. The Apostle Paul was a tent maker, we're told. Luke was a doctor. So that they had their jobs, they had their professions, and they still had to do their work. But if we take that as understood, then we can start to explore and say, well, if it doesn't mean that, if that's not directly what the Lord is getting at, then what possibly is he getting at? So I'd like to turn this one up with you, please. If you come with me to um, keep your marker in Matthew chapter 11, because we will be coming back to that. But if we come back to the, the middle of our Bibles and we've got the book of Psalms, it's sort of bit easier to find the book of psalms isn't it and then we go over to proverbs and then we get to a book of ecclesiastes if we come to chapter two these are the words of a wise man solomon king of israel most famous king of israel along with his father david 
chapter 2 and let's start at verse 11. This is what Solomon has to say about our labour in this present dispensation as we will refer to it for the time being. So Solomon says in verse 11, chapter 2, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought and on the labour, all the work that he'd done, that I had laboured to do. And behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit. And there was no profit under the sun. So he was the king of Israel. He was a very privileged man. God had given him riches and wisdom and understanding. He had everything that possibly his life could possibly offer him. And he'd worked hard. But he looked at the result of his work and, and for some reason he sort of said, well, it's vexation of spirit and, 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 and vanity. Now, why would he say that? Why would he say that? Of all people, you'd have thought that he'd had great fulfillment and great satisfaction at looking at his work. But he doesn't use those words, does he? He says it's vexation of spirit, which makes us read on a little bit uh, and we can see his reason why he has this point of view verse 14 through to 18 same chapter 2 verse 14 the wise man's as solomon the wise man's eyes are in his head but the fool walketh in darkness and i myself perceived also that one event happeneth to all in other words we all grow old and eventually we die that's the sentence that was passed on adam and eve in the garden of eden Verse 15, then said I in my heart, as it happeneth to the fool, so it happeneth even to me. And why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For there is no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever. Seeing that which now is in the days to come shall all be forgotten. And now, uh, excuse me, and how dieth the wise man as the fool? Like he said, the same event happens to all. Verse 17, therefore, he says, I hated life because the work that is wrought under the sun, that means in our natural state, is grievous unto me for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. It's a sad condition, isn't it? Verse 18, yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun because here's the ultimate reason because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me and who knows whether he's going to be wise or a fool he says so in other words Solomon's looking at the condition he's saying yes I can do all these wonderful works and labor hard he says but at the end of the day I'm going to die and he says and all that those nice things that I've done all that good work that I've done he says I'm going to leave it to somebody else so he says it's vanity and it's vexation of spirit. And of course, like we saw from the reference in Genesis, this is the natural condition of labour, the sweat of our face, how we earn our bread, earn our living. Um, and so we have to consider this. This is the why, isn't it? This is the, the, the why we need to go to Jesus. Because we are naturally, when we're born and we grow up, and before we're baptised into the Lord Jesus Christ, we are in Adam. And, and this is the state of play. This is our natural condition. We are mortal. We are frail. We are subject to the ups and downs like everybody else in this world. We have disappointments at work. We have frustrations. We have uh, all sorts of difficulties, as well as the nicer moments, of course. 
And, and, and that is the, the labour, that heavy load that each one of us has to bear. And so back, if we, we turn back to our chapter in Matthew, it brings us to that other phrase really, isn't it? Where Jesus says in that same verse 28, all ye that labour and are heavy laden. You see, this labour, it, it puts a heavy weight upon us. And, and that is the, that's the idea that we have there. Now, here's another reference. We won't turn to this one. It's on the screen for us. So Paul in Romans says the wages of sin is death. So the, the analogy um, is extended, isn't it? Um, this mortality and this frailty uh, is extended to this idea of the wages of sin. So Jesus is going back to the root cause. He's not just dealing with the symptoms. You know, when we go to see the doctor... We, we want relief from the symptoms, but it's more important to find out what the cause is, isn't it? And then if you treat the cause, then you've got a much better remedy, haven't you? You can get rid of it and the symptoms constantly reappearing. So Jesus says, I'm not just going to give you rest from your daily toil. He says, that's the way that it is, and we have to accept that. He says, but what I am going to do is, he says, I'm going to take you right back to the Garden of Eden and say, let's have a think about how sin got here in the first place. Let's think about that curse that the Heavenly Father put on mankind, that mortality and, and the sin and all its evil consequences. So Jesus is saying, here is indeed a heavy load to bear, a heavy load indeed. And, and there is no escape naturally speaking from that heavenly load we just have to do the best we can live the life that we've got and if we do not accept christ and repent of um, our sinful ways and we if we don't come to him then that is our lot but jesus says that doesn't have to be the case he says come to me he says and i will give you rest from this mortal frail sinful condition and I will relieve you of that heavy load, that mortality, that frailty and that sinfulness, which at present we are carrying with us. So he says, come to me. Will you turn with me, please, to um, the prophecy of Isaiah? And it's wonderful how the scriptures use ideas from the Old Testament, um, Isaiah chapter 58, and, and Jesus picks up on the teaching of the Old Testament and elaborates on it so that we can see how consistent the scriptures are. They're like more of these golden threads um, and, and that the, the two ideas, the Old Testament matches the New Testament. It's not completely different. The, the New Testament is built and founded on the principles that are given to us in the Old Testament. So we're looking at Isaiah 58, and I'd actually like, I know it's a bit of a chunk, but I'd like to read the first six verses to, to dip in at the final verse six. doesn't quite make sense. So let's just read from verse one, if you don't mind. Isaiah 58, verse one. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice, says the prophet, like a trumpet, and show my people, Israel, their transgression, and the house of Jacob, their sins. Yet they seek me daily, he says, and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. 
that you think, well, what's wrong with that? That reads quite nicely, doesn't it? The nation that say, yes, we want to worship God. Yes, we want to do what's right. But look at the next verse, verse 3. They, as it were, are asking God a question. Because they've done all these good things for God, as it were, that's what they're thinking. Verse 3, they sort of end up asking him a question. Wherefore, they say, have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not. They're saying, God, you're not really looking at us. We're doing all these nice things for you, but you're not repaying us in kind. He says, wherefore have we afflicted our soul, deprived ourselves? That's what it means. And and thou hast taken no knowledge. Behold, in the day of your fast ye find pleasure, says God, and exact all your labours. Behold, ye fast for strife. God turns around and he says, no, you're misunderstanding. He says, look at the way that you're viewing things. He says, this is not right. Ye fast for strife and debate. And to smite with the fist of wickedness. They're full of pride and arrogancy. Ye shall not fast. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day. He says, no, this is not the right way forward. To make your voice to be heard on high. He says, that's not the way. That's not how you get me to listen to you by acting in pride and arrogancy. Verse 5. He says, is it such a fast that I have chosen? a day for a man to afflict his soul is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him wilt thou call this a fast and an acceptable day to the lord obviously not we are reminded we won't turn there but we're reminded of the words that the lord jesus said to the scribes and pharisees aren't we when he said that he called them hypocrites because on the one hand they pretended to worship god they said all the right things as it were he says, but your hearts are far removed from me. He says, you're, in your head, you are thinking about yourself and what you can gain out of worshipping me. Your heart is not really about loving me first and putting self last. So that's what he's saying here, isn't it? He says, you're deliberately looking forlorn when, you, when you're doing a fast. He says, you're making everybody understand that you're doing a fast because you want them to look at you and say, oh, how wonderful and holy and righteous is this man? Because look at him. He's having a real long fast there. He must be a very holy man. And God says, no. He says, you've got it all wrong. He's looking for humility and he's looking for meekness. And so we come to verse 6, which is the crucial verse. And and see how we we can pick up what we've been reading about in Matthew, how Jesus picks up on this. He says, is not this the fast that I have chosen to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens and to let the oppressed go free and that ye break every yoke? These are the things that God wants to do. He says, that's what you should be like. He said, you've got it all back to front. He says, it's all about not being wicked. Loose the bands of wickedness. But they were showing traits of wickedness. They were behaving in a wicked, selfish, proud um, and arrogant manner. He says, it's about undoing people's heavy burdens lightening their load and encouraging them so what jesus again he accused the pharisees of doing that didn't he, he says you put all these burdens upon the people he says and you won't lift your little finger to help them yeah but jesus in matthew he says 
I will relieve you. I will give you rest. If you come to me, I will do this. So you see, Jesus is the embodiment. He is the fulfillment of God's plan expressed in these words in Isaiah. And, and that, that's wonderful for us to think about. So we can see the, the similarity and the, the picking up of those, uh, those ideas that we have there. Let's come back to our reference uh, in Matthew 11. So Jesus says then, if we do this, he says, I will, I will give you rest at the end of verse 28, which is wonderful, isn't it? But again, we are now, hopefully, thinking more spiritual thoughts rather than just a literal and a physical rest from our everyday work. Yeah? We want to think, well, we've just been painting the picture that this heavy load is ultimately talking about our frail, mortal condition um, that we inherit from being the descendants of Adam and Eve. And Jesus is saying, if you come to me and learn about me, I will reveal the Father to you. And, and you can believe that wonderful gospel message that sometimes the wise people, the educated of this world, don't always manage to see because they think they're above it. They think they understand better and more things than this and they won't accept what the scriptures say. But those who are babes, those who are willing to accept the milk of the word, they will believe these things and develop that necessary faith without which the scriptures tell us we cannot please the heavenly father. So think about it. A rest is the absence of the labor and of the, the heavy load, isn't it? when we put our feet up on an evening when we come in from our daily work it's an absence of those things and we can sit down and we can relax that is our our natural rest isn't it but in the spiritual sense here the equivalent is to be delivered from this mortal frame to be delivered from our sin-stricken nature through forgiveness of sins by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the, the, the scriptural type arises, doesn't it, when God gave Israel the promised land. And, and this is worth following through, if you bear with me, because it helps us understand these spiritual concepts. If you turn with me, please, to... Um, oh, actually, I'll put that one up on the... That one's on the slide, I think. Excuse me, there it is. It's one I've already got it up there. In, in, in Joshua there, we can see. When the children of Israel... Um, were coming they'd come all the way through the wilderness and, and Moses had taken them up to that point but then Moses died and then Joshua took them into the land and the children of Israel they inherited the land but you see it, it describes this inheritance of the land in terms of a rest and that's wonderful isn't it you see because they've been walking around the wilderness haven't they for, for 40 years and, and they've been walking all that time in preparation of entering into the promised land. But now they'd arrived there, and, and that's wonderful, because that was the original rest. Um, and, and that sort of, we can see those ideas that are highlighted for us there, related to each other. That the Lord your God, at the end of that quote, hath given you rest, says Joshua, and hath given you this land. So having this rest, this spiritual rest, is all about inheriting 
the land of promise. It's all about God's promises that he made to Israel all that time ago. Let's have a, a little list of things. When they went from the wilderness and they came into the land, we can see how wonderful a type that this rest is of the rest that is to come. The big rest to come, of course, is when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to the earth and establishes his kingdom. And that's what we believe that Matthew is telling us about. In, in the record of Matthew, Jesus is saying this rest that he's going to give us is essentially the kingdom of God and all the beautiful conditions that will pertain at that time. You see this first one there. It marked the end of 40 years wandering in the wilderness. There's the next one. The promised land was inherited and possessed by faithful Israel when they were believing God and doing the right things, following his commandments. The ungodly nations that existed in the land of promise um, earlier, they were ejected. They were overcome when Israel was faithful. It wasn't always the case later on. The remnant was there to prove Israel. But under Joshua, when they were inheriting the land, that's what we see. The ungodly nations and enemies were, were overcome. God's laws were applied in Israel. You see, the, the nations around about them, he says, none of those nations had a wonderful law like Israel did. And God's laws were, were truly wonderful. That's another subject. But his laws ruled the land and Israel at that time. And all these things point forward with their equivalents. Uh, uh, they are all types of what will happen in the kingdom of God when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. God himself was their king. And I'd love to have time to chase that up. But if you, if you wanted to make a note of 1 Samuel 8, verse 6 and 7, this is the occasion when... Israel said to Samuel, we want a king. Give us a king so that we can be like the nations around about us. And, 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 and Samuel was very upset about that. Very upset indeed. And, and God said to him, he says, don't fret yourself, Samuel. He says, don't worry too much about it. He says, they've not rejected you from being the prophet. He says, they've rejected me from reigning over them. That's what that scripture says. They have rejected me from reigning over them. So what does that mean? That means that God is their king, doesn't it? Because yeah? he was their king reigning over them. And they wanted a different king. Yeah? So God himself, would, and, and Lord Jesus Christ, when he comes, he will be king of the world, won't he? God's only begotten son. And the administration under Joshua, and, and in the land of Israel as it was inherited then, comprised of God's appointed priests that had a priestly order. They didn't have secular and sacred things rather divided like we do in our modern society. The, the, the nation of Israel was completely and wholly a religious society. It was all of it under God's laws. It tackled all types of situations and events of everyday life and spiritual life. So that's what it's going to be like in the kingdom of God. There's going to be no more divisions uh, between sacred and secular, parliament and, and, and head of a church. No. Jesus will be king over everything. And he will administer with the help of his saints and the kings and priests that he appoints at that time over everything. And they will be the administrators of, of that kingdom. Come with me, please, to um, you know, keep me in mark in Matthew. 
just as confirmation of this, turn with me to the letter to the Hebrews, please. Because this idea of a rest uh, is made, uh, made a big thing of here. It comes to our attention once more in the book of Hebrews in chapter 4. Just read a, a few verses from there. Hebrews 4, verse 1, Let us therefore, we're told, fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. And then verse 3, For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. You see, the first generation that wandered through the wilderness, they wouldn't go into the land. God didn't let them in the land. They were turned around because of their lack of faith. And it was the following generation that went into the land. Verse 4, For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day, going back to creation now, on this wise, and God did rest on the seventh day from all his works. So there's another type of this beautiful rest on the the seventh thousand years. Um, And then verse 9, There remaineth, is the conclusion of this argument that we've been presented with, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. So it's the same beautiful theme, isn't it? This kingdom of God that's going to come. Um, And then also in verse 11, the exhortation is, Let us labour therefore to enter in rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. So he's taking us back to Israel and saying, he says, don't be like them that walked through the wilderness. When they got to the border of the land, they didn't have sufficient faith to enter into that land. So they were turned round and they had to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until all that generation had perished and died. And then the following generation, under the leadership of Joshua, went into the land and inherited it. So we see then how this rest He's taken up this principle that we have in Joshua, um, is, is talked about by the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew, and here we have it clearly pointing forward to the, the kingdom of God. So that this rest is the, um, it's the antithesis, isn't it? It's the opposite, it's the exact opposite of the mortal labour and the heavy load that is endemic, if you like, in our natural natures, in this what we call our probationary age in the the dispensation that we live in at the moment. Coming back to Matthew then, please. We'll move on. And I know we're tackling it sort of almost a phrase at a time here, but it really helps us come to a better understanding of the eventual verse 30. So we're in, in verse 29 here, and Jesus says, after I will give you rest, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. So that we, we see at the end of the verse this rest coming back, featuring again, ye shall find rest unto your souls. And how is that accomplished? So we're thinking about how do we do this? How, how do we come to the Lord Jesus Christ? He says, this is what you've got to do. He says, you've got to take my yoke upon you. And, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. Take my yoke upon you. Well, we can think about the, the, the natural yokes, as we can see in the little illustration there on the slide, of, of putting a yoke across two animals so that they work together. 
And, and that yoke, of course, is imposed on them. The animals didn't have really much choice about receiving that yoke. Their master put the yoke upon the two animals. It was imposed upon them so that they would do that work. In other words, it was involuntary. You know, that those, um, those animals didn't put their hands up and say, well, you can take me out today, I'm, I'm quite happy to do the work. There was no choice in the matter. The yoke was imposed upon them, and then they did the work that the, the master said that they should do, ploughing the field or pulling a cart. So ordinarily, a yoke is imposed upon us by its, its master. Um, if we go to... We'll turn this one up, please. If we go to... Uh, Deuteronomy please in chapter 28 we can see how it is used there in the Old Testament way of using this phrase right towards the end of Deuteronomy um, in chapter 28 I'd like to read verse 47 to 49 God says to his people Israel, Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things, all the things that he provided for them, therefore, says God, shalt thou serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things. And he, God, shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck sort of unbreakable iron upon thy neck until he have destroyed thee and the Lord shall bring a nation against thee from far from the end of the earth as swift as the eagle flieth a nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand so we see then that in the scripture in the Old Testament that this idea of a yoke being imposed upon you was to be subservient to, to to be a slave of these enemies that came against Israel and God was using these uh, nations to punish his people Israel to make them think and saying we've come away from worshipping God as we ought to do and and we need to turn back to God so God is bringing once again his judgments upon his uh, people Israel he's chastising them as a father chastises his child uh, and he's saying you're going to have a yoke imposed upon you you're going to be subservient to these nations around about you. But of course, when we come to, to Jesus' words, um, you've got that reference there in, in John 17, that it's about learning. It, let's come back to, to Matthew, because it's wonderful how Jesus, again, picks up on that idea that we have in the Old Testament. And you see that yoke is imposed upon us, that heavy load that labour is imposed upon us because it's part of the curse. We receive that mortality, that frailty. We don't have a choice in that. We're born and we inherit it. So that is our yoke. But, but Jesus' yoke, that he says, come on to me, receive my yoke, this is different. If we look at our verse, um, and, and it really helped me a lot when I was looking at this because verse 29 take my yoke upon you and and learn of me again link those two ideas together the the learning comes immediately after the yoke take my yoke upon you and learn of me 
So this is not an, an involuntary thing. It's not a yoke that is imposed upon you, as it is with the animals. It is a voluntary yoke. It's one that we are willing to accept. That Jesus' yoke, that he, he gives to us. But it's not a burdensome yoke, like it is with the animals carrying their heavy load. It's, it's a beautiful and a wonderful yoke of serving with him, of becoming his disciple, of following his footsteps. It's a yoke of learning, coming to his word, his inspired word, and learning of him and learning of his father. That is the disciple's yoke, which is not a difficult one, is it? It's a beautiful one to learn about the Heavenly Father, to learn about Jesus, to learn about the gospel, which if we accept and we are baptised into Christ, then we can receive forgiveness of sins. And Jesus can remove that heavy load and forgive us our sins, and we can be given immortality. We can be made like unto the angels to inherit the land in the kingdom of God when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to earth. What wonderful things await those people who give their lives in service to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus goes on to say in verse 9, he says, the reason for us taking on his yoke is, for I am meek and lowly in heart. So he gives a reason. And, and this is not Jesus boasting, saying, look at me, I am lowly and meek. Jesus was not like that. That's not a boast. He's simply saying that we need to be meek and lowly like him in order to accept the message that is given to us. It's rather like what we were saying before, going back to verse 25, when Jesus thanked his father that he'd revealed these things unto babes and not to the wise of this world. You see, pride will not come into it. We need to be meek. We need to be humble. Um, and, and that is how we can accept, learn about the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus is saying you need to consciously develop these attributes. And then you can learn of me and you can learn of the Father. And the Father will then be revealed to us by consideration of these things. If we don't adopt that meekness and that lowliness and that humility in our approach, our prayerful approach to the scriptures, the Father will not be revealed to us. We will not understand the Father or, or his ways. So we have a reference there in John 13, 14 and 15. We won't turn that one up. It's on the, on the screen there. But Jesus is saying that he is our example in all things, he says. And so I need to be like him. That's, after all, what a disciple is, isn't it? To follow the perfect example of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a key disposition. So let's come to our verse 30 then. As we draw our conclusion from our thoughts... We come to the specific phrase that forms the title um, of our talk this afternoon, where Jesus says, For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So this is a completely different yoke from the one in the Old Testament. It's a completely different burden that we have as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's not to say, of course, that a disciple's life is all uh, rosy and easy. 
it's got many challenges in it's got many challenges but nevertheless it's all about what we're thinking it's um to use the flashy word it's our correct paradigm it's the way we look at it that really really matters you see um, if the yoke, think about it, if the yoke is accepting Jesus' invitation to, to come to him, learning about Jesus and learning about the Father, all about the wonderful things concerning his saving name in the kingdom of God, and if it's putting on his saving name in the waters of baptism, then the yoke is easy, isn't it? In that respect, the yoke is easy and the burden is light because it promises of all those wonderful things that we just mentioned in the kingdom of God to be made like the angels and, and getting that rest from this mortal condition because we will be made immortal we will not be frail we will be incorruptible we will no longer have to uh, resist sin we will be sinless we will be able to do the will of the heavenly father at all times you see here in acts 14 in this reference there we, we, we like we said there is challenges and it expresses it in this way that the disciples must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of god so we can't fool ourselves and saying jesus is going to give us a dead easy time now in this life no that's not what jesus is saying because it would uh, it would contradict that statement there wouldn't it if that was the case there will be challenges to a disciple as we endeavor to follow him in in his ways the lord jesus christ if we look to him like we're being told in this reference in hebrews 12 uh, looking to jesus look how he approached these things he approached it by looking at the joy that was set before him and because of that joy all the things that are laid up for him in his future in the kingdom of, of god as king of jerusalem and king of the world he could see that he could visualize it ahead of him and therefore he could look at that joy and all that agony that he had to endure all that shame that he had to endure all that despising and scorning he counted it as nothing he said it's only going to be for a short time and then after that there's going to be glory and honor and immortality all the wonderful things that god has promised his own son also so it's about the attitude of mind isn't it and so will you turn with me please uh, to uh, 2 corinthians we'll come to 2 corinthians where paul he, he says words very similar which are in very encouraging for us and this is how we accept uh, and why the yoke is uh, easy and the burden is light so come with me to 2 corinthians in chapter 4 verse 16 to 18 the apostle paul there he says um, excuse me yeah, yes verse 16 for which cause he says we faint not now he's speaking to baptized disciples already for which cause we faint not but though our outward man perish yet the inward man is renewed day by day for our light affliction which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory while we look not at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen the kingdom of god for the things which are seen here and now are temporary temporal but the things which are not seen are eternal 
You see, here is the correct paradigm, the correct disposition, the correct way of looking at our lives now. Our light affliction, when we do suffer things, when we do have difficulties, we have to think through them, think past them, and say, but it's just for a moment. Relatively speaking, compared to the ages of glory in God's kingdom and thereafter. So, there we are. If we come back finally to our reference then, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The question, of course, is what are we going to do about it? Do we believe it as babes to accept the milk of the word, to accept the invitation that the Lord Jesus Christ has given each one of us? Come unto me, he says, and I will give you rest. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, videos, information about what we believe and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirtchristadelphians.org.uk. Music